Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks for being here. I know it's a summer, 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 can't even say it, sunny summer day. Come on, you say that 10 times and I guarantee you'll be stuck too. Sunny summer day and I thank you that you are here today and, and have decided to join us. Uh, we are continuing our series called The Good and Beautiful Community and we're in part five of that series. And so I'm excited for today. Um, we're continuing this journey because we're addressing, as we've said, this misunderstanding that our relationship is a personal relationship with God. The answer to that is, yes, it is a personal relationship, but it requires all of us working together in order to create a healthy, vibrant relationship. A personal relationship, as we've been saying, a personal relationship with God can't thrive without people. And so last week, if you were here with us last week, we talked about what it meant to be the Christ-centered community, a Christ-centered community. And we really got into this idea of agreeing to disagree, that oftentimes we'll have disagreements. And the question we ask is, are you the one that's going to walk out or are you going to work it out? Are you going to walk out or are you going to work it out? And we've said that the center, the foundation, the starting point for where each of us begin when it comes to our disagreements, especially when we're Christian, is Jesus. That's the starting point. That's the foundation. We don't have to agree or necessarily like each other. But when we disagree, that's where we start. And we said the christ Center community is one that works it out instead of walking out. And so today, we're, this is like part two of this message. We're going to continue it. It's like part two. Um, and I think the reason why we're going to stick here for this week is because it is an important subject. And if you're like me, it is something that you struggle with. And I know you're like, what are you talking about? We're going to get there in a minute. But um, I'm excited about today. And, and this is just, I mean, this hits home, home for me. I don't know about you, um, but this is something that I struggle with. And I'm sure it's something you struggle with as well. And so would you pray for me before we begin uh, this message on the reconciling community. Lord, we do give thanks for this day. Thank you for your love and your grace for us. I pray that as we continue to worship and we continue to listen, um, that we would be aware of your goodness in our lives. You are good, and for that we give thanks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, um, I was going to start this message by telling you that Janelle uh, went back to work. But the truth is, is she's really been working for the last eight years. So, I mean, she's been investing her life in our kids. She's an amazing mom. Uh, I wish I could be like a quarter of the parent that she is. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, where do you get that patience? I mean, I just want to yell and scream at the kids. And she's so loving and kind. But she's invested the last eight years of her life in our kids. And before that, she was a teacher. And the, the good news is she went back to teaching. I'm not going to say she went back to work. She went back to teaching. And we're blessed by this because she uh, works at a school right down the street and um, she's loving it she's working as a as a pair there which is exciting because she doesn't have to do all the classroom work that's required of a teacher uh, she doesn't stay have to stay overtime she doesn't come home with papers it's like when she's there she's there and when she's home she's home which which I like but I would be lying if I said to you it it has caused it didn't cause any tension over the last 
couple months. I mean, um, you know this, when, when you have both parents working or, or you're constantly working, it causes uh, tension within your relationships. It causes tension uh, when you're trying to figure out what kind of rhythms you're trying to get into. And so <laughs> we, uh, we were trying to figure this out as she went back to school. And so one morning I came home uh, back from the gym and uh, on my way home, I received a phone call from Dan Eaton, and I love Dan because Dan always calls me just to check in and say, hey, but, but today we were actually having an important conversation, not that it's not important when he calls, but uh, we were actually having an important conversation, and um, so he talked to me the entire way home, and um, I pulled into the, the garage because I knew if I go in with the phone, like, you never know what you're going to get when you walk in. So I just decided to sit in the garage and continue the conversation. Well, 15 minutes later, I'm still sitting in my garage, and there's nothing creepier than sitting in your garage by yourself, and people think you're sitting out there alone. And so I thought, well, I better go in before my wife gets worried about me. And so I went in, and I was on the phone. And as I walked in the door, I can sort of see into our bedroom, and Janelle was getting ready, and, and she kind of peers around the corner, and she looks at me, and she sees that I'm, she sees that I'm on the phone, and she rolls her eyes. Now, I've got great husband intuition. I, I, I could sense that something was wrong. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but when your wife or your significant other rolls their eyes, there's a uh, chance that there's something wrong. And so, um, you know, I was a little bit worried. And so, you know, I was telling, talking to Dan. I was trying to hurry the conversation along, and, and he was very aware of that. And so he kept talking. And... Um, and, and, you know, 20 minutes later, I get off the phone with Dan. Thanks for calling, Dan. Um, and I asked, you know, I'm like, what's the problem? What, what's wrong? And so that's a really good starting point, man. If you want to you wanna get, point, you know, cookies or, or brownie points with your significant other, just, just ask them a good question. Like, you know, that's, that's a good way to care for your significant other. Say, so, what's wrong, you know? And, and she says, listen, I had this expectation that when you walked in the door, We've talked about this, right? I'm going back to work. I need the kids to, you know, I need you to, to help get the kids ready. I can't do it on my own. I need you to help. I need you to be here. And I expected when you walked in the door, you walked in the door, you would be there to help me. And so um, at this point, all my good husbanding skills went right out the window. Um, because what I heard was, you're not being a good dad. You're not being a good husband, and you're not meeting my expectations, to which I was really just kind of put off by. I was a little defensive about. And so pretending like I cared at this point, I said, well, what is the problem then? You know, what's the problem? I don't understand what the big deal is. Because, by the way, you took me off of a phone conversation that I thought was important that you don't think is that important. So what's the problem? You know, and she says, well, here's the problem. The moment the boys woke up, they were fighting. They were fighting the moment they woke up. They're in the bed. They're fighting over who's going to play the game for a couple minutes on the phone. They're fighting over what clothes they're going to wear, who gets the biggest bowl of cereal, and who's going to brush their teeth with a certain toothbrush. And they're just fighting, 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 fighting. And then you come home, and you're on the phone the whole time. So it doesn't get any better. I look at her, and I say, help me understand, which is by the way, that wasn't a question. That was a statement that I'm about to give you a solution. And you should know by now, you know, 14 years in our marriage, you would think I'd know that I just need to listen. I don't need to offer solutions. But I say, help me understand, and not in the question form, why this has to be so difficult. Yes, I know. I know. 
I, I know, I couldn't believe I said it. And then I went so far as to say, it is a simple solution to the problem. Because it kept coming back to this phone issue over and over and over and over again. I said, I don't see what's so hard. I don't know why this is not a problem that is that difficult to solve. And so I just told her it's, it's a simple solution. I went on to tell her the solution. And at that point, a dark cloud descended upon our house for the entire week. I was in the doghouse. And you know, you've been here before. You just get the sense. You get the sense that something is not right. I had this sense all week, and it's like we just could not get on the same page. We could not get in rhythm. But there was just sense, like all week, it was like, we just can't get this right. And my guess is, if, if I could step in your shoes, or I could walk in your shoes for a day or two, my guess is you have some of the same issues with people. Maybe it is your spouse. Sorry if you got in a fight on the way to today. Uh, work this out later, not right now. Don't be nudging or, you know, prodding or poking. Um, but... You have relationships with people, you have relationships with coworkers, you have relationships with other fellow students, and my guess is, not only do you have disagreements, but there are times in your life where you get the sense, you get the sense that something isn't right. Am I right? And, and my guess is, too, is as a community, as a church, as we're growing together and we're talking about what it looks like to be good and beautiful, there's no secret, as we talked about last week, that when we come in here, we have experiences, we have past, we have hurts, we have hang-ups, we have disagreements among each other, and there is tension amongst us at times when we come in here. And we bring those things that happen out there in here, and sometimes we take it out on people who really shouldn't be the recipients of it. And so we deal with tension in our own community and amongst us as a church. And so today we're trying to figure out, we're continuing the conversation, why do we work it out? This is what we're really working toward today is the why behind why we should work it out. Because last week we said, we don't walk away, we work it out. And so we want to ask this question, why? And so today we're going to look at a gentleman named Paul who many of you know, I get it, you're scholars and you're, you're more you know, biblically educated than I am, but many of you know this gentleman named Paul who writes from his own personal perspective. He doesn't write from you know, a, a philosophical standpoint or an educational standpoint. He writes today to a community from his own personal you know, perspective. Because you, you know this, that, that Paul was in disagreement with other people when he first started on this journey. You know that Paul did not agree that Jesus died on the cross and resurrected from the dead, and therefore he, he really didn't like people who were following Jesus. He disagreed with them, he persecuted them, he killed them, he questioned them, he spent a good majority of his life doing that. And then he runs into Jesus along the way, and long story short, he becomes a Jesus follower, and oh, by the way, wants to start planting churches, talking about Jesus all over the world. But in order to do that, he has to go back before this council of people. And as he stands before them, these are the people that he questioned, that he persecuted, that he made their lives miserable. I mean, these are the people that he has to stand before. And of course, if you were them, would you forgive them? If you were them, would you let him back in? I mean, this is the guy that was killing us, and now he wants to start a movement with us. And if it wasn't for a young man standing up on that council and saying, listen, I know Paul's had a past, but I think we should let him try it, because I think God has changed his life. If it wasn't for a young man standing up and doing that, we wouldn't have this letter, we wouldn't have this church, and we wouldn't understand why it's so important to work it out. 
And so Paul writes this letter to this community, this Corinthian community. And, and if you don't know anything about the city of Corinth, it is like the coexist sticker for, you know, it's the ancient coexist sticker. That's what this city stands for. I mean, it is like a giant melting pot of people. So you have people that are coming from all over the world. You have Jews, you have Greeks, you have Italians, you have merchants, you have sailors. You even have refugees. And all these people are coming in to this one little city, which really wasn't so little. And as they join there and as they gather there, uh, you can imagine that they bring with them their past, their culture, their experience, and the way they do things. And so the big problem that this city faces is this. Well, where I'm from, we fill in the blank. When, when you grew up the way I did, this is how we did it. Or this is how mom made this food. Or this is how we greet these kind of people. Or this is how we allow people to come in our house and how we take care of them. And so it was a big argument in the city about this is what I do. This is what we do. This is where we come from. It's from my point of view, from my point of view, this is the problem. And what happened in Corinth was a church opens its doors. Paul opens his church, and he opens this door to like a bunch of people who look like they're from Las Vegas. And they come in, and they bring in, they bring in with them these same ideas. People from all over the world who think this is the way it should be. From my point of view, this is how it should be. And it creates a major, major problem for the church. In fact, Paul's planting was a disastrous plant. It wasn't going well. He was concerned for them. And so he writes them this letter and he writes them these few lines in order to encourage them as a way of saying, I've been here. I've been in disagreements, but this needs to be the starting point for all of us. And so here's what he says. And we're not going to get very far. He says, from now on, I love how he starts that. From now on, you ever had a from now on kind of moment? I had one yesterday. Um, many of you, some of you know that I'm an assistant soccer coach, which is a nice way of saying I'm a glorified water boy. I don't know anything about soccer. I pretend like I do. You know, I cross my arms and I walk up and down the sidelines and I might, might kick some dust here and there just to pretend like, you know, I'm upset about something that I have no clue about. Um, I let the head coach do all the work. You know, kids going to pass out because they're, you know, dehydrated or whatever. i I feed them water. That's my job. But the kids think I'm a great coach, and they think I'm cool. And so the other day, um, the head coach invited us down to uh, his, um, his lake, and we went to the beach and some other kids, and we decided that we were going to play a soccer game in the sand. And the way we started the game is by saying, there are no rules to this soccer game. So like I told the earlier service, it was fun to watch, you know, 36-year-olds slide tackle six and seven-year-olds. Pretty cool, you know, taking out their legs, breaking their ankles and everything else. Um, but it became apparent quickly uh, into, the, you know, into the match that people would kick the ball and people would start sticking their hands up, which, by the way, in, in original soccer, you can't use your hands. And so the kids knew this, and they were like, hey, this isn't fair. This isn't right. And so... So as you, you've done this before, right? When you need to win or you need to change some of the rules to the game, you say this. You say, from now on, and then you make the rule. So we would say, okay, from now on, there's no more handballs. From now on, there's no more slide tackling or whatever it was. But we do this. We say, from now on, and what we're stating is, from now on, this is completely different. There's a new starting point. There's a different way. We're going we're gonna to start things over. I know it wasn't going well. It was completely disastrous. But from now on, it's going to change. 
This is what Paul is telling the community of Corinth. From now on, new rules, new start. Here we go. Check it out. Here's what he says. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly, a worldly, a worldly point of view. Now, I don't know if you know this, but your worldly point of view starts from where you started. Your worldly point of view comes from where you came from. I mean, you don't believe me? Just look in the United States. In the United States alone, look at how people in the north view people in the south and vice versa. Don't know if you know this, but people in the south don't necessarily like Yankees from the north. That's what they call us down there. But, and also, think about it. People from the West, they think um, certain thoughts about people from the Midwest. They always, I always hear people say this. People from the Midwest don't know they can leave the Midwest. They just are stuck there, and they don't know that they can get out of it. Um, but, but they say that all the time. And, and if you begin to look over the United States, you begin to see that each of us, where we grew up, we have our own point of view on things. And this is what Paul is wanting to address in the church because there are people who have entered into the church who have lots of money. They come from royalty. They have lineage. They have heritage. They have past. They're important. But they're also, they're also going to church with people who are poor, who are refugees, who have no past, who have no history of important people. And they're merging together in this one church. And you can hear it. They're all saying, well, where I'm from, and quickly, quickly within this church, it becomes an us versus them. Us versus them. And the worldly point of view that Paul wants to address is this idea of better or below. Better or below. That in the church, because I come from money and I have a lot of money, I'm better than you and you're below me because you're a Viking and, you know, you're a whatever. I had to throw the Viking thing in. Some of you know I love Vikings. But, you know, you're, you're a merchant, you're a sailor, you're, you don't come from where I come from. And it was this whole mentality of I'm better than you and you're below me. And if you're below me, then I'm better than you. You know, it's like just going back and forth, back and forth. And there was this tension. There was a disagreement within the church because of this. But it all started because of their past. It all started because of the past. And so Paul continues. He says this. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. There is no better or below. There is no better or below point of view. He says, though we once, re- <laughs> I love this, though we once regarded Christ in this way, I don't know what Paul means by that. Uh, and I'm not, I don't have time to figure it out. But he says, we once regarded Christ this way, but we do so no longer. And then he continues. Therefore, Okay, let's keep moving. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new, the new is here. And I love what he says. Not counting people's sin against them. You ever considered why you like new stuff? I mean, think about it. Have you ever really thought about why do I like new things? Why do I like new shoes, new jeans, new whatever it may be in your life that you get on Amazon or wherever you shop and get new things? Have you ever considered why you like new things? The big reason we like new things is because they don't come with dents. They don't come with dings. They don't come with holes. They don't come with tears. They don't come from where we've come from or a better or below point of view. I want to think about it for a minute. If you were to purchase a new car, right, 
Now, you purchase a new car and you bought it for the same price as somebody else, but then you drove it for five years. My guess is each of you drive it differently. My guess is there are going to be different people that hit different sides of your doors and you'll, you know, your car will have a different experience than somebody else over the course of those five years. And if you were to return both cars, remember they were brand new when they started, but when they come back in, when they have the past that they went through, maybe, maybe uh, they lived in California, this car lived in California, and this one in Chicago. So underneath, one was rusty, one was not so rusty. One had more dents because more people, they liked to park up close and people dinged them in the side while the other one parked far out and walked in, right? Different history, different past, but they had the same starting point, they had the same value, but over the course of time, because of their past, if you were to value them up at, at five years, you would get different prices and different values. And Paul is saying this. You keep saying where we're from, the past that I have, this is the point of view that I'm going to argue from. And what Paul wants to say is, from now on, from now on, when you walk in this door, that doesn't exist because our value is not based. Our value is not placed on the past. Our value is not placed on the past. He says, when you walk in this door and you've decided to be part of this community, we are all at the same point. I don't care if you're rich, you're poor, you're good, you're bad, it doesn't matter. We don't count anything against anybody. He says, each of you are made new in Christ. You're a new creation. He says, forget your points of view, forget where you've come from. We're starting over. And then he continues. He says, all this, <laughs> I love that, all this, from now on, everything that we're talking about up to this point, is from God, who reconciled himself to us through Christ. Now, I know Paul is extremely wordy, and when we hear this word reconciled, we immediately check out, because it's like, you know, Christianese, and it doesn't make sense. So I, I want to unpack this word because there is a lot of depth to it. In fact, if you were to peel back this word reconciled, you would see that it means to merge. To merge. I know, you're like, okay, help me out. Come on, let's, let's get going here. Janelle was riding with my mom one day, and um, my mom's from Ohio, so she drives really slow, unlike what you would get on I-80 or anywhere else. And um, my mom was driving like 15 miles an hour on the on-ramp, to get onto the highway. And Janelle said, I kid you not. She's like, I, I thought we were going to die. I literally thought we were going to die. Everybody's going 70. People are flying by. And she's going 15 miles an hour onto the on-ramp. And I'm freaking out because I don't think we're going to get into the flow of traffic. I think somebody's going to rear-end us. Somebody's going to run over us. A semi's going to plaster us. And I'm going to be dead. And I love this thought that when we get on the on-ramp and we, we get on the highway, we are merging into traffic. We merge into traffic, and the reason we merge into traffic is we're trying to get in the flow, right? And this is what Paul is urging the community. He's saying, from now on, when you are reconciled because of God through Christ, you are merging. God is merging you into his story of redemptive love. In other words, I want to remind you that because of what Christ has done on the cross for you, you are now merged into this beautiful story of love. And it is going to continue, continue to push you forward in the flow of what God is doing in and through this world, in and through you, in and through this community. 
there's a flow to it. And it starts with God. It starts with what he's done. And so he says, once you, once you found yourself in that flow, here's what happens. He says, and he has committed you. He has committed you. From now on, remember this, right? From the, the starting point, this is where we're beginning. He says, and he has committed you to the message of reconciliation. He has committed you to the message of merging. I like that. I can tell that you like it too this morning. <laughs> he has committed you and me to the message of merging. I want to go back to my conversation with Janelle um, because I think it's important to understanding this idea of the message of reconciliation that God has given us. I was an idiot that week, and I know it, and often it will take me a few days because I am so arrogant and I am so, um, you know, just strong-headed that I don't want to go back and say I'm sorry. No, I'm supposed to go say it. No, that's the right thing to do, the Christ-like thing to do, but sometimes I don't very, very, feel very Christ-like, and I just don't want to go do it. And eventually, of course, over, you know, the week, I eventually apologized to her and we made things right. But, but in our marriage, one thing that we are committed to, no matter where we are, is that we will make it right between each other. That we are on this path of merging our lives together in such a way that it sends a message to other people. See, I often wonder what kind of environment would I create in my house for my boys if I were just to stand there with my arms crossed and say, I don't know why she keeps rolling her eyes. You know, it really is a simple solution. If she wasn't so dense, you know, she could figure this out. I could stand there and cross my arms and not ask for forgiveness and not humble myself and not say that I'm sorry. And of course, what environment would I create for my boys? Would my boys be more considerate and compassionate of other people who wrong them? If Janelle, like, were just to continue to roll her eyes at me and continue to be frustrated with me, and after I said I'm sorry, she just said, well, I'm not going to forgive you, what kind of environment, healthy environment or unhealthy environment, are we creating for our boys? Are they going to be more loving? Are they going to be willing to care for? Are they going to be willing to say they're sorry? Or are they just going to cross their arms and be like, sorry, man, you messed up. You're dead to me. See, we truly believe that our marriage is a message. And that at the end of the day, I can't do it on my strength. She can't do it on her strength. But as Paul says at the beginning of this letter, it is, and I know, he says, I know I'm nutty. I know I'm crazy. I know that you think I'm whacked out. But he said, it is Christ's love that compels me. And for face value, that doesn't say a whole lot. But what Paul really says is, Compel literally means to hold all things together. Oh, no, that makes sense. When we're talking about relationships, when we're talking about disagreements, when we talk about people that we don't necessarily agree with, and we know that there's something not right in the relationship, you can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. At the end of the day, though, when we are Christ's followers, and he has made us new, he's made you new, he's made me new, the only thing that holds us together is Christ's love. And when I'm married to this beautiful woman, and we are working out our marriage in front of our boys, our marriage becomes the greatest expression of Christ's love, not only to my boys, but to the world. 
because my boys will influence the world. They will have more influence than I will ever have. But if I can start there, if I can get that right, I've got a good start. So God has entrusted us. He's committed to us. He's given us a message, a message, a message of merging with people that we disagree with. That we're frustrated with. That we don't necessarily see eye to eye with. But at the end of the day, when you're working it out, the only reason we're working it out is because Christ's love is the only thing that holds it together. And so I want to I ask you this question because this is so important. What message are you sending? What message are you sending? See, if, you, if you're waiting on somebody else to stand before you and say that they're sorry, it's not how it works today, sorry. If you're waiting for somebody else to walk up to you and say, hey, listen, I messed up, brother, I'm, I'm extra, you know, you know, if you're waiting for them to do that, it's not going to happen. If you're expecting people who aren't Christ followers to come up to you and say that they're sorry, don't anticipate it. Because that message wasn't entrusted to them. It was entrusted to you. It was entrusted to each of us. And if you don't think, if you don't think for a minute that your kids aren't watching you, if you don't think that your coworkers aren't watching you, your boss is watching you, the students around you are watching you, if you don't think that your life isn't sending a message, you better think again. People are watching when you have disagreements with other people. And the way that you solve it, the way that you stand before the other, and the way that you love them, not because you can, but because Christ did it within you and it compels you to continue on, by what you do, you are letting others know Christ's love. When we work it out and we allow this love to hold us together. So I would ask you when you leave here today, what message, what message, what message are you Sending. I got to be honest, you know, sometimes I forget half of what I preach. I know you do too. Um, <laughs> and it can be the week after I preach it. My problem is I'm usually four weeks ahead, and so I'm always thinking about the next message starting Monday, and I forgot that I preached a message yesterday, and, and I just forget my, you know, everything that I preached. But you know what was so hopeful for me this week is that we have people in this community that actually practice what we're talking about and what we're teaching about. You see, I forgot my own message. And this week, yes, I got in an argument with somebody and it was heated and I was wrong. And you know, it just was really, really nasty. It wasn't good. But you know, it was so beautiful. You know, it was so beautiful. And it took somebody to remind me this. They said, even in the middle of that argument, what was so neat was that they didn't walk out. They didn't walk out on you, pastor. Does anybody else? They might have, but they didn't walk out on you. Instead, they stood there and they listened and they worked it out. And I was convicted. I actually went back and listened to the end of the message. Remember I challenged you? I said, you should go have people that you have disagreements with. Have dinner with people you dis disagree with. So I text this person. I said, hey, you know, I really want to meet with you tomorrow. Um, can, we, can we have breakfast? And again, 
in a week where I don't feel a lot of hope, I don't really feel alive, I don't feel like a lot of good is going on, this person, this person followed through. I said, I'll meet you there. And we had breakfast together. And we stood before each other. And I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> and he said he was sorry. And um, that's hard. It's hard for me to do. But what gives me hope is that somebody would say, I believe in the love of Christ so much so that I'm going to stick it out with you. I don't agree with you, Pastor. I don't necessarily agree with things that are happening or what's going on. But you know what? That doesn't matter. Christ's love is so compelling in my life that we're going to make it work even when we disagree. And I loved how he ended the conversation. He says, are we good? Come on now. You've had people ask you that. That's such a good question. Are we good? Yeah, I don't know if you know, but when God created the world, he said, it's good. It is as it should be. And when that man stood there and told me, we're good. There was hope for me that we can work this out. I want that for you. I really do. So whatever relationship you're in, whatever your struggle you're in, whatever disagreement with you have, you're having with somebody, let me just encourage you. When you walk up this door, ask yourself, what message am I sending? Is it a message of love? Is it a message of hope? to those who need it. God has entrusted you with it and he has committed it to you. Honor him this week, would you?